Amen. <clears throat> Is this, there we go. Ooh, that was just cruel. He left people leaving to the last one. And then we have that sadness, and then like, anyway, the pastor's going to come and preach now. And, uh, oh, okay, <laughs> we can't do that. Listen, let's go ahead in our Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Next week, we are going to be starting a new series in 1 Peter. And so for those of you that have been around us for many years, you will notice that sometimes we do very long series, sometimes shorter series. Luke was a very, very long series. Uh, 1 Peter will probably be about a quarter length of that. It'll be a lot shorter, but we're going to dive into the book of 1 Peter, and I, I'm very excited about that. But today, before that, I, I really want to spend some time looking at the importance and priority of God's Word, which is the title for this morning, The Importance and Priority of God's Word. You know, there's different times as a pastor, particularly as a, a preaching pastor, that you just sense the Lord putting an issue or a topic on your heart. You know, all pastors really are, are shepherds looking after sheep. And sometimes, as you wait on the Lord, you sense Him really quickening you to something. So I approached the team, actually before Christmas, and said that this was a, just a burden that I have for us as a local church. And so we're going to read together 2 Timothy 3. We're going to give ourselves to verses 16 to 17, but we're actually going to read from verse 10, so that we can enjoy the context together. This is the word of the Lord. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, I am freshly aware that we are on holy ground. Because you are speaking to us. This is the moment in the service where we don't have any interpretation of what you're saying. We just sit and listen to you. Oh Lord, as we go through these verses, every word, every word has come from you. And so Lord, would we sit under your word today? Would you remind us of how we are sheep with a good shepherd, which is you. And the sheep need to hear the shepherd's voice. So, Lord, as your under-shepherd, would you help me to articulate well today? And would it be your words that we hear? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of my favorite programs in the UK was an absolute classic of a program. It was the program Antiques Roadshow. It's wonderful. 
Um, I used to watch it every Sunday afternoon. It was on Channel 4, about 4 p.m., I believe, prime time for snoozing and watching a program, something like that. I actually discovered recently it is on here in Australia. It's amazing. It's top quality. And it comes from the UK. And the way this show works, if you've never seen it, is people from the United Kingdom bring in sort of artifacts or things that they have around their home. And they're kind of hoping that it might be worth something. And so you find all sorts of strange things coming out. And I love the program. And I particularly like the program when the valuations are somewhat of a surprise. So when people bring things in that they think is worth a lot of money. And then they tell them, This is a fake. I love that moment. It's just a cruel dilemma for me, but I love the moment when they realize you just watch their face crumple. But I also love it when the same happens in reverse. And people bring something in that they don't think is worth a lot of money, but then they find out it is. And I'll never forget one particular show. It was some years ago now, and a couple arrived in on the show, a couple from Birmingham, And they brought in a large blue and white vase, and it was about 26 inches, it was about this tall. And as soon as they carried it in, you can see the hosts and the people running towards them because they want to talk to them. And they get the porcelain expert, and his eyes light up, and he runs towards them. So they sit them down, and the cameras come around them. And they start to ask this couple, where did you get this vase? And they explained, well, Auntie Flo gave it to us in 1978. Um, She died and passed away, and this is what we got. And we didn't think that much of it, to be honest. In fact, actually, what we use it for usually is a doorstop. And so we usually, when the door swings open, we we open it so the kids can go out and play soccer and stuff like that. And you can see the host's eyes like going like, are you insane? And they, they, they start to realize that he's certainly reacting this way. And they say, well, actually, yeah, we, sometimes you, we do use it as a doorstop. Actually, sometimes the kids take it out the back garden and they use it as a goalpost as well. And so the, the host is nearly falling off his chair at this point. And they're like, listen, tell us about it. And the host explains to them that what you actually have here is a rare 18th century artifact from Chinese Emperor Quinlong from the late 1700s. It was actually an emperor's porcelain. And so he went on to explain, you probably don't want to walk it, use it as a doorstop or a goal anymore because this vase is worth 1.2 million pounds. <laughs> and you can see this couple like falling off their chair. I mean, imagine if the kids had broken it as a goalpost. Imagine the doorstop. And they said straight away, we will never use it as a doorpost again. It's like, no, I'm not surprised. It was one of those moments in time when this couple were completely unaware, completely unaware of this life-changing treasure they had in their home. They'd had it for decades, completely unaware just how valuable and precious it really was. And so they're shocked when they discover that it's been in their home all the time. And the reason why I've started that illustration this morning is because in all honesty, I think we can be more like this couple than we care to believe. Unaware then of the incredible and valuable treasure that God has given to us. Unaware of the valuable and life-changing treasure that God has put in your house. Often in multiple editions. Numerous places around your house. And unaware of the valuable and life-changing treasure that this word really is. And so we use it as doorposts or the end of the bookshelf to keep all the other books straight. And I'm completely unaware this book is life-changing. 
more to be valued even than gold. And I don't believe the Lord wants us to be unaware. Which is why I believe he has put this on my heart this morning to talk about. I want a text that we are examining this morning in 2 Timothy 3. See, in this passage and in this letter, Paul is writing to Timothy. And as he writes to his child in the faith, there's no doubt that he is passing the baton on to young Timothy. As far as Paul is concerned, his life is soon to be coming to an end. He has run the race. He has fought the good fight. He is in prison, likely awaiting persecution and ultimately death. And he knows this. So he writes this letter to his child in the faith to pass the ban on to him. And part of what he does is he writes to him as he writes to him to encourage him. Explaining, Timothy, you need to lead the church. Timothy, my life is soon to come to a close. But Timothy, you must keep running the race. And Timothy, you must keep the main thing, the main thing. So chapter 1, he talks to him about following the, the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Timothy, guard the good deposit, the gospel. Timothy, guard it and treasure it and hold it fast and never move on. Timothy, teach your church to know and apply and proclaim the gospel. Never move on from it, Timothy. And as you do it and as you lead your church, do it with zeal and passion. Let that be the nail that you hit again and again and again because it's the main thing, Timothy. And so in this incredible book, written with such depth as Paul's final words in so many ways to this child in the faith, he wants him to understand, Timothy, keep leading them. Keep preaching the gospel to them. Keep helping them apply the gospel. Never move on from the gospel. And do it with zeal. And then having encouraged him, he also, in these chapters, prepares Timothy. Because he wants Timothy to realize, hey, Timothy, as you lead your church with zeal, it it ain't going to be easy. In fact, actually, it's going to be pretty difficult. There will be opposition come your way. There will be challenges come your way. There will be difficulties come your way. In chapter 3, he explains to them about persecution. He explains in those verses that I just read out, all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Timothy, you're going to be leading a people that will be persecuted. Timothy, you yourself will be persecuted. And evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. Timothy, the world that your congregation is going to live in will be delved in a smog of worldview that you're going to have to speak into. Timothy, evil people and imposters will be trying to pull people away from you all the time. You yourself will be tempted to pull away. Timothy, there are so many things that are going to be a challenge to you. And it will, through history, go from bad to worse. But Timothy, there's something that God has given you and that you must know about. A great treasure that will save you and your hearers. A great treasure that can change people's lives and guard people's lives and feed them and help them and aid them and give them life. Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. Timothy, this is your treasure. It's right here. And it changes lives. I believe the Lord wants to remind us about this treasure this morning. And so I have three points 
Number one, the origin of Scripture. Number two, the power of Scripture. And then number three, the promise of Scripture. But as we come to this text, I really come to it just with one hope. And that's that we would all realize afresh this morning the incredible and life-changing treasure that we all hold in our hands. Though we're so tempted to leave on the shelf, but actually fail to recognize, oh my, this is to be more valued even than gold. Because this can change lives. And this is God's word. Three points then, and here's the first. Number one, the origin of Scripture. Let's look at verse 16. All Scripture, listen, be sobered by this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Wow. All of it. Every word. Breathed out by God himself. You hold that in your hands. (laughs) Often multiple copies. It's all breathed out by God. The maker of heaven and earth, it's all... Breathed out by him. You know, that is possibly the most important statement in God's word about God's word. And it is informing us that all scripture is breathed out by God. These words that we hold in our hands aren't just written by mere men. They are breathed out by God. These these words that we hold in our hands aren't just scribed by mere people. But they come from the very mind and heart and mouth of God himself. What an astounding reality that is, don't you think? It's astounding to realize these are God's words. You know, one of the great themes that, all, that runs all the way through the Bible is the power and splendor of God's words and breath. It's a theme that runs from Genesis through to Revelation, the power and splendor of God's words and breath. So for example, in Genesis 1 verse 3, we're just three verses in. We, we hear the words, let there be light, and what happens in response to those words? Boom, there's light. The words are powerful. The words do things. Let there be light, and in a moment there is light. Let there be land and sea. Let there be heavens and earth. Let there be stars and galaxies and everything. Every molecule responds to the very words of God. Then in Genesis chapter 2, We see God making man in his own image, breathing life into his nostrils. Adam's chest isn't even moving. He's just been formed, and God breathes life into him. And in a moment, his chest starts moving, and his heart starts beating, responding to the breath of God. We see that echoed in John chapter 20. When Jesus is actually commissioning the church, when he's birthing the church, and it says randomly, and he he breathed on them. You think, that's a bit random. Not if you understand Genesis 2, it's not. Because he's starting a body here. He's starting a church. He's breathing life into the church. His very life. Then comes Exodus and the burning bush incident. Moses is called by God himself through the burning bush, this bush that is a flame but never actually burns up. And he's called by God himself, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, go to Egypt and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, hey, I've seen this movie before. It didn't go very well when I tried last time. You know, what am I even going to say? Who sent me? And God tells him, tell him, the great I am has sent you. 
Ego and me has sent you. It's the first time you start to understand who God really is. As he discloses, this is my name. My name is I am. See, in Hebrew times, your name said a lot about you. And God can't describe himself any other way apart from I am. I am he. The one who was and is and is to come. I'm more powerful than anything you could ever imagine. Understand more than anything you could ever understand. Wiser and greater than anything you could have ever even dreamed of. Tell them I am sent you. And you start to learn from words. Not through speculation, but words. Who God really is. You then fast forward to the Gospels. And we see Jesus as the image of the invisible God. We see Jesus himself as the perfect self-revelation of God himself. He is God clothed with flesh. We see him then at the baptism, his wonderful baptism moment. And I love it because it's like a graduation moment because the father renders the heavens. The heavens are ripped open. It's like a a father that can't hold back any moment because his kids don't so well. And says to him, this is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. Again, it's speech. It's coming from a mouth that is disclosing something about who he is. Then we see Jesus. Jesus, although through his life, rebukes demons through words. Boom, they're gone. Tells people, get up and be healed. Boom, they get up and they are healed. Says to the storm, be still. Boom, and the storm responds to him. Every molecule responds to the words of Jesus. And then in John chapter 18... You have, I think, one of the most incredible scenes in all the Bible. Jesus comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane. There is a whole battalion walking towards him, some a thousand soldiers. And he says to them, who do you seek? And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says to them, ego emi, I am. If you pay attention in John chapter 18, it says in that moment, everybody withdrew and bowed down. You ever miss that? (laughs) A thousand strong battalion have just heard ego and me, I am he. And involuntarily, they, they bow down before him. They don't even know what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. They've just encountered the very words of God himself. And involuntarily in their humanity, they're bowing to him. They must have been shaking their heads after that, thinking, I don't know what just happened there. Anyway, arrest him. But they are powerful words. God's words are powerful words. They are powerful and splendorous all the way through Scripture. And what we learn is that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. The one that you hold in your hands. It's all breathed out by Him. You know, Jen Wilkins says that the Bible is our burning bush. I think that's so wonderful. And so it is. The Bible itself is our burning bush. God speaking to us. God communicating to us. All Scripture is breathed out by God. You know, that's why it's so important then that we don't seek to modify or change or edit it, isn't it? And can we not be tempted to do exactly that? We read things in the Bible and we think, oh, please, if my unbelieving friends saw that, it's going to be a really awkward conversation. And so we can want to soften it. We can want to change God's words. Listen, it isn't our job to change God's words. It's our job to sit under God's word. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the great I am. We are just us. We sit under his words. Tell you, was that an amen? It was just a nose explosion. 
<laughs> I know Ollie well for what I guess, so it's fine. And he does it every now and again. I think he just likes to get on the recording. I'm not sure. Listen, when we sit under God's word, we must allow God's word to do the speaking, not us over it. It's not, you may think that we are judging God's word. Negative. It's always judging you. It's always judging you. This is the standard. This is the gold standard. This is the rock on which we stand. John Calvin once said, we owe to scripture the same reverence that we owe to God. What a huge statement. That's why in so many churches it's common when they read the text that they will stand. I was recently in a church in the United States, actually, and I didn't ask them to stand. But as I started speaking, 20, 30 people just started to stand. And you're aware this is what they do. Because God's addressing me here. What a huge moment. It's why it's so important that we don't then seek to modify or change or edit Scripture. Likewise, it's why it's so important that we truly, if we truly want to know God, if you really want to know God for yourself and have a personal relationship with God, that's why it's so important that we actually give ourselves to this word. Because it's through this word that he will reveal himself to you. You see, I love creation, as I'm sure many of you do as well. I was chatting to one of my friends just yesterday, actually, a guy that doesn't know the Lord that we were hanging with for the afternoon. And he was talking to me about how beautiful Australia is, because he's from Scotland. And we were both talking just about how beautiful Australia really is. It is beautiful. And when you spend time examining, I mean, even just looking outside, when you spend time looking at trees or a beach or an ocean or or whatever we're looking at, you can just be amazed with who God is, can't you, in creation. Likewise, creative arts. You can learn a lot about God through creative arts. Whether it be singing or whether it be dancing or whether it be art itself, there's moments when you can see something or hear something done well, and it can be a God moment, can't it? You're just aware God has given that gift. It tells you something of his majesty and his emotions and his perfection. Listen, creation and creative arts are wonderful gifts from God. But if that's all you look at to study who God is, you're merely going to be left with speculation. They hint, but they're not clear. Well, this book doesn't give us speculation. This book gives us revelation. God says, you you think you know me? Well, let's find out, (laughs) because this is how I'll tell you about me. This is how you'll really know me. It's in this word that he tells us about himself. It's in this word that he reveals to us who he really is and how he thinks and what he's done and what he loves and what he doesn't love. How would you like it if the only way we explained you was, you know what, I saw the way they built their house and I saw some homework they did in grade seven. Let me tell you all about them. It's really weird. You might say, I would have rather you actually got to know me. This is how you got to know God. It's through reading this word that you can find out who he really is. As Jen Wilkins says, this Bible is our burning bush. And it is. God breathed. God speaking to us. Each and every one of you have a treasure in your house where God says, Hey, let me tell you about me. Wow. That's not all. Number two, what you also see in this text is the power of Scripture. Look again at verse 16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
You have to understand the logic with which Paul is talking about here because here's his logic. His logic is, listen, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Every last jot and tittle of it is breathed out by God himself. And because all Scripture is God-breathed, then all Scripture is powerful and therefore profitable. Why? Well, because when God speaks, things get done. When he speaks out loud, things happen. When the Father speaks, boom, things change. When the Son speaks, boom, things change. When the Holy Spirit speaks, boom, things change. And so because this is God speaking, when he speaks, it will automatically be powerful and profitable. Because when he speaks, things get done. Things change. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11, Isaiah explains this. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isn't that wonderful? God's word will not return to him void. It will accomplish and succeed that which it is set out to do. It's like a boomerang, okay? You can think, I don't think that affected me very much. It is going to smack you on the back of the head before you know it. That thing is going to take you out. Because when it is declared, when it is preached, or when it is read, when we're by ourselves, it is busy doing something. It is pursuing you. You think you're reading it? Kinda, it's reading you. In the book of Hebrews 4 verse 12, we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Isn't that wonderful? This book, it's, it's alive. It is active. It is busy. It is getting things done. It is reading you all the time. It is speaking to you all the time. It is powerful. No other book is like it. You know, sometimes I speak to people, I just find it so hard to read the Bible. But I love novels. Novels weren't written by God. They're never going to change your life. This book will change your life. This book is alive and active. The closest thing I can take you to is the never-ending story that I watched when I was a kid. The book's actually real beyond the curtain, you know. This book is alive and active. It goes after you. And he tells us the way it works. He says, this scripture, listen, it's powerful, it's profitable. It gives us a number of things. It's powerful and profitable for teaching and reproof, for example. What Paul is dealing with there is what we believe and how we think. The worldview with which we operate in our lives. He's telling us that this word is powerful and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for giving us the framework and grid to how we need to think. Listen, we live in a world where we are being bombarded with cultural worldview every day of your life. Every day. And you think you're not? Well, you must be a hermit then living under a stone. If you emerge from the stone and live in the world, you are breathing the smog of of cultural worldview each and every day of your lives. Movies reek of it. TV often speaks of it. Would you watch the programs you watch if Jesus was sitting next to you? 
magazines that we give ourselves to, social media, TikTok is always trying to inform you of worldview. This is what matters. This is what's important. This is what doesn't matter. This is what isn't. It's constantly, constantly bombarding you with smog again and again and again. This book is oxygen to you. This book helps explain what is truth. Not that. This book explains what is true. This book explains the way God designed it to be. This book explains how we're to interact with that. This book gives us hope and encouragement and stability and grace in a world that is so confusing. So he tells us, listen, this book is like oxygen to you. It's the lifeline you need. Every day you'll be bombarded by something else. Every day you need oxygen. Otherwise you won't survive. It's profitable for teaching and for Reproof, he explains that it's also profitable for correction. Correction simply deals with how we're brought back onto the path. Listen, we all need to be brought back onto the path sometimes, do we not? As the famous hymn says, you know, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We live in a world that is filled with smog, and it isn't all just out there. There's the enemy of within that we deal with. The sinfulness of the old self that still desires a lot of that. And then there's Satan that says, yes, you need that. Go ahead, go get that. They will do you really good. And so your heart is prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, here's what God does. He says, listen, I know that. So I've given you this book. And this, is the, this book is one of the ways that I'll correct you. That I'll bring you back onto the path. Because as you spend time in this through my Holy Spirit, there'll come times when you realize, hey, this isn't me. This isn't what I'm doing. That's the kindness of God bringing you back onto the path so you don't get distracted. So that instead you're kept faithful and true to keep walking on a path that will do you well and walk with wisdom and grace for His glory and your good. See, every time we need to understand who is it that is correcting us? Well, The one that knitted you together in your mother's womb. The one who died in your place. And the one who loves you more than you could ever have imagined. Do you think he's out to trick you and get you? No, he's out to save you. Sometimes from yourself. And so this book is a a treasure, a gift for training and for reproof and for correction. Likewise, it is a gift for training in righteousness, he tells us, just to close. That training in righteousness simply deals with how we're to be educated in how to live. None of us are born from our mother's womb knowing, how do I take up my cross and follow Jesus? doesn't come naturally, does it? Lots of other things come naturally. In other words, mine, they come naturally. But everything else after that, we have to learn. Where am I going to learn it? Where am I going to learn how to follow Jesus? Right here, this treasure trove is going to explain to you exactly how to live for Jesus in a way that it will all be for his glory and it will be for your good. That you'll actually make a difference and an investment and run hard for him. When you're confused and you don't understand what am I meant to be doing, here it is. This is it. And if you've ever wondered if God's not clear, really? He's given you a lot of words. He really wants to disclose to you who he is and what it all means and what he loves and how passionate he is. It's all here, right In this book, Martin Luther, a quote I've used before, but we'll probably use a hundred times again. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. 
It has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold of me. I love that because it, it invokes our imaginations. This book is alive, it runs after you. It's chasing you down. If any book on the earth needed a cage, it is this one. It is dangerous because it is alive and active. It runs after you. It wants to speak to you. It wants to grab your legs and pull you back in. It wants to train you and correct you and help you and teach you because it's breathed out by God himself. God's words, burning bush to you individually being addressed by God. The origin of Scripture is God. So no wonder if it is, it is powerful and can change lives. And remarkably then, he tells us in verse 17 that it also comes with a promise, which is my third point, the promise of Scripture. And it's amazing. Look at me at verse 16 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. (laughs) Verse 17 is a beautiful verse in God's Word because what it so clearly reveals, I believe, as you look more closely, is a wonderful and conclusionary promise to you. Having explained that this Word is God's Word and God-breathed, having explained that this word then is powerful and profitable, that it can change your life, he then goes on to explain that if we give ourselves to it and read it and seek to heed it and apply it, guess what? Then you will be a man or woman of God who will be complete, mature in every good work. That's staggering. You want to be immature as a Christian? No problem. Never read this. No, no. This will hurt you. It will make you mature. But if you want to be mature as a Christian, if you want to grow, if you actually want to become more like Christ and actually make a difference, get riveted to this word. Because it comes with a promise that for those that get riveted to this word, that spend time in this word, and that cry out to God for grace and plug themselves into the vine of this word, then guess what? You will be mature and complete for every good work. Wow. What a treasure. Google doesn't promise that. It doesn't say, hey, Google me. You will be complete for every good work. No, you'll just want to Google something else. God's word promises that. Give yourself to this. Then you'll know what to do. Give yourself to this. You'll be mature and complete in every good work. Give yourself to this. For apart from me, he tells us in John 15, you can do nothing. You need this word. Listen, what a treasure then this is, isn't it? It's a treasure that comes with a promise. And how incredible it is then that we hold it in our hands. This precious and life-changing treasure we hold in our very hands. That couple that I talked about at the start from Birmingham, they had no idea that this vase was so valuable. And I think sometimes as Christians, functionally, we operate like we have no idea. This word changes lives. It's God's word. Profitable. It comes with a promise that if we give ourselves to it, we will be mature and complete. We will grow 
That's why Paul says to different congregations, listen, you're still on milk when you should be on meat because they're not doing this. They're not giving themselves. So they're not growing and maturing in a way that God has designed them to. Listen. Folks, when it comes then to truly knowing God, if that's a desire in your heart this year, if you're like coming into this year, I really want to know God. I really want to know Him. I don't just want to know Him through other people. I don't want to know what my parents think or my friends think or my siblings think. I really want to know God for myself. Well, that's great. That's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. So how do you do it? Give yourself to this word. Creation can be helpful. Creative arts can be helpful. But all they will leave you doing is speculating on who God is. This reveals who he is. It's in this word that God says, hey, listen, it's through here that I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to get to know you. You're going to be able to understand who I am and whose you are and what all this means and how you're to live in a way that will be good for you and will be for my glory. The great Jayapaka simply says it this way. I love this. He said, God has spoken to us in his word to make friends with us. Isn't that beautiful? God himself, the maker of heaven and earth, has written this word to you. Why? Because he wants to be your friend. And this is how he talks. And he says quite a lot. There's plenty of words. But he uses plenty of words because he really wants you to know him. If you're serious then about really getting to know God for yourself, you want a personal relationship with God, then give yourself to his word. Give yourself to this treasure. Maybe on the other hand, when it... You're going through one of these seasons where you're dealing with life's challenges. You know, when it comes to dealing with life's challenges, we all face challenges, do we not? Seasons and moments in our life when we can be discouraged. Seasons in our life when we can be disappointed and stressed and weary. Moments where we can feel like the sky is falling in. Does anybody else have that or is it just me? Moments when you think the sky is falling in. Well, what do we do in those moments? Do we jump on Google? You can. You just won't find it very rewarding. Now, here's what we do. When we find ourselves stressed and discouraged and disappointed and and weary, we plug ourselves into this word. Because it's this word that promises things to us. In Psalm 19, verse 7, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. (laughs) This word revives It'd be like you turning up to my house, boiling hot, desperate for water. And you're like, hey, is there any chance I can jump on Google? Well, you can. Or I can give you a glass of cold water. Oh, I'll take that. Well, what's the cold water? This word. This word will bring encouragement where there's discouragement. It will bring peace where there is stress. It will bring faith where there's unbelief and unconcern. This book does all this stuff. When it comes then to dealing with life's decisions... We all face many decisions, do we not? Sometimes big, sometimes small. We all face them multiple times in our lives. Whether you're married or single, whether you have kids, no kids, whether you're a youth or a student, we all face decisions. Decisions over employment, decisions over housing, relationships, studies. What should I even be doing with my life? We all face those decisions. And often the last place we go to is the first place that God says, I will reveal to you the answer to those questions. This word. This word answers all those questions. 
In Psalm 119, verses 105, we read, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Your word. This treasure of a book. It's this that is going to bring life. It's this that's going to bring answers. Either answers directly to us or answers that will help build a grid, a framework of how we make decisions. Or we'll understand, I haven't got a clue, and we'll read, you know what, the priority importance of the church and seeking counsel. Guess where we get that from? It ain't a sovereign grace thing. It's just a Bible thing. It's God's word bringing direction to us as Christians, as believers. This is how it will go well for you. This is how things work. This is how I will direct you. What a treasure this is, isn't it? What a treasure of a book. A book that is God-breathed. A book that is powerful and profitable. A book that comes with a promise. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 47 some of my favorite words in the Bible. We simply read, these are not just idle words. They are your life. Oh, my friends, do we approach the Bible that way? These are not just idle words. They are your life. A fight then to read your Bible is a fight for your life. Understanding the smog of the world that we breathe in every single day of our lives. A fight for reading God's word is a fight for our lives, a fight for understanding, a fight for faith, a fight for clarity, a fight for direction, the fight of your life. So my friends, I want to encourage you then. Do all you can this year to truly give yourselves to this word. I would be an unfaithful pastor to teach you any other way. The answers are in this word, this book which is alive and active. Does that mean then that every day as you open your Bible that you're going to just feel pure delight and ecstatic devotion? No. No, there'll be days when it is a discipline, (laughs) when I need to discipline and train myself for the purpose of godliness, which Paul actually calls Timothy to do. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. There's times when we have to discipline ourselves and just give ourselves to it. Did I feel anything? I don't think I did. But guess what happens? Over time, as you keep doing it again and again, that discipline becomes delight. And it becomes delight because as you mature in it, you realize this works. I am getting to know God in a way I hadn't before. I am starting to experiencing that equipping of soul that I hadn't before. I'm seeing myself with more clarity. I'm seeing the world in 3D in a way that I just saw it in black and white before. That discipline becomes delight because this book changes your life. So give yourself to it. It is a wonderful treasure. So don't leave it just propping up doors. Get it in your soul. Because these words are life. Let's pray. Well, Lord, as we close now, Lord, first of all, would you forgive us for times where we have squandered this word? Thought of it just like any other book. In fact, perhaps different. We thought of it as more boring than most books. Lord, would you forgive us for squandering your word I'm almost ridiculing it by just leaving it on the shelf. No big deal. Looking to everywhere else for answers, but never opening this. And Lord, did you help us to be a people that want to go to your word? 
Lord, I pray that we would be wise, understanding that there is an evil one that wants to do all he can to keep his fingers closed on this word for our lives. He knows the life it will bring. Lord, I pray then we would brush off those fingers and we would open these words and understand the delights that it contains within. Lord, for each and every member of Sovereign Grace Church, would the word of God be a delight? Would we give ourselves to it? And would we mature as a result and become more like you? Lord, help us to do this by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.